And if you grab your Bible, today is a wonderful day. This Sunday as we begin our series in Hebrews. If you'll open your Bible, open up to Hebrews. Right there in your pew, there should be an ESV or King James. I don't care which one you use. All that matters is if did you follow along with your preacher. Any sermon that you go to and listen to, if you can't follow along in Scripture, that's a bad sermon. So this morning, you have my notes right before you. If you come up here and look in this pulpit, the notes that I'll use are right before you. This is the transcript that I'll use. We'll go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We have enough here to get through 2021. And I'm excited and I do hope that you'll be here to study the book of Hebrews. What you can do in your private study is read the book of Hebrews. And if you come across something you don't quite understand, what we'll do is unpack it together every Sunday here at Riverside as we'll go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, just like we have done in the last four and a half years. In the last four and a half years, we've gone through a couple of books. We've gone through Mark. We've gone through Romans. And then we'll add Hebrews right to the list. And as God will give me 40 more years in this pulpit, by the power and the unction of the Holy Spirit, we'll try to get through the whole New Testament. Amen. And then we'll start in the Old. Oh, by the way, we do the Old Testament on Wednesdays. You can be here as we go through the book of Judges, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We learn about how God provided those who were able to save His people in the Old Testament with the book of Judges. But today, while we choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, they report supernatural events that took place and fulfilled a prophecy. They are divine, not human in origin. We here at Riverside believe in sola scriptura, which means the scriptures and the scriptures alone. You'll see that in Hebrews as we begin today, that we use the Bible and the Bible alone. We also believe in sola fide, our Latin phrase that means faith and faith alone. It's not your accolades and your trophies that save you. It's not earning your way to heaven. It's simply trusting and believing in something or someone and that someone is sola Christus, a Latin phrase that means Christ and Christ alone. Jesus alone is what we trust in because the scriptures point to Jesus and Jesus deviates something to us. It's called sola gracia, a Latin phrase that means grace and grace alone. I can almost sing it. It's grace, simply grace that saves a wretch like me. And all those things culminate into one glorious phrase. It's the crown jewel of theology. Sola Deo glory for all His glory. It's for God's glory and His glory alone. This morning, the singing was for God's glory. The preaching was for God's glory. The praying is for God's glory. So if you would open your Bible to Hebrews chapter number 1. Let us begin together. Let us roll up our sleeves. I do hope your neighbor has a copy of God's holy word. And let's get started. This morning, the book of Hebrews, many theologians and commentaries, they argue over who wrote Hebrews. Now, we need to know who the author is. Not really. We know that God is the author as the 66 books of the canon of the Bible are closed. There are no new revelations. There are no new books and new volumes coming out. This is it. And Hebrews explains all that. But who wrote it? Who's the author? Many say Apollos, the pastor of Corinthians, wrote it. But I'm under the persuasion that Paul wrote it. But either way, it doesn't matter who was the penman. It matters who is he writing to and who is it ultimately from. It's from God. And this morning, this author of Hebrews points ultimately to the preeminence of Jesus. Preeminence means most importantly. The, 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 the highest calling of any life is Jesus. We'll see in chapter number 1 how Jesus is higher than the Old Testament prophets. How He's higher than the law. Then He will examine how He's higher than the angels 
So let's go and study together. I do hope you're excited because I am. Hebrews chapter number 1. Let this begin long ago at many times and in many ways. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. We see here that the author begins and there are many ways that God spoke in the Old Testament. He spoke to the mouth of a donkey once. He spoke from a prophet. He spoke from the voice of angels. In the Old Testament, that's how He spoke in visions and in dreams. But times have changed. But now... We have a new revelation. We have the final revelation. We have the final voice. We have the final conversation found in verse number 2. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. As we open service this morning, you heard me quote John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He held up the earth and all the being, and everything that was created by the power of His Word. Here, the author points not to the Old Testament, not to the law, not to the prophets, not to new revelations, not to a, a tarot card, not to chicken bones in the corner. He doesn't read your palm. He says, now God speaks to us through His Son. To examine this, we look at what the Old Testament prophets, what they would say. They would come and they would yell to the city in the city square, repent, for God's going to level this city. Fire and brimstone will fall. He will reap you and destroy you unless you repent. And it was warranted. It was needed. Elisha, Elijah called down fire and killed. Uh, he sucked up the, 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 the prophets of Baal's sacrifice and had the prophets killed. It was war. And God would send His prophets every time to declare war on the children of Israel. Whenever a prophet rolled into town, people go, oh no. Even Samuel, when he rolled into certain towns, people said, oh, oh, Samuel, do you come in peace? Why are you in town? What, what's wrong? What's the problem? They didn't want to see a prophet come. Because the prophet always brought bad news. The prophet always brought, brought wrath, and, wrath and war. Even the Old Testament says that our God is a man of war. He came to destroy the wicked. And the problem is that we're all wicked. So when a prophet showed up, you didn't like it. But now in the New Testament, he doesn't send a third party. He doesn't send someone to mediate between you and him. He sends himself. He sends Jesus, who is equal with God. You notice, have you ever thought, imagination in your mind? I know the Trinity is hard to wrap your mind around, but many people believe there's one big throne and two little thrones. That Jesus is on a smaller throne beside God. No. He says He's at His right hand. He's shoulder to shoulder with God. He's not lesser. He is the Son of God. The same substance. He is God in the flesh. A down to earth deity. He is God. And He sends Jesus. And when Jesus shows up, He don't say, I'm coming to slay all the wicked. What Jesus says when He shows up, He says, you believe God, believe also in me. Trust in me. I'm your only hope. I bring peace. I bring joy and mercy and grace. That's what He says. So do you see how Jesus is better than Moses? For Moses comes to strangle you with His laws and His statutes. But Jesus shows up with grace and mercy. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, 
And what He has said is final. We don't need the Latter-day Saints, the Book of Mormon. That's it. We don't need that. That's a cult and it's a lie. We don't need personal revelation. We don't need parking lot prophets who come up to you outside and say, the Lord told me to tell you. No, 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 no. I, I want to know what chapter and verse because this is all I need. If you want to hear God audibly, what you do is read your Bible out loud. This is all you need. That's why we say sola scriptor. We don't need anything else. We have the totality of the Bible. And the Bible points to Jesus. The problem when people hear the voice of God, many times it sounds like their own voice. Many times they say, well, that's what I want to do. So they follow their own heart. They don't trust Scripture. This Christian preacher who's standing on the Word of God tells you to look at Scripture because it points to Jesus. And that's all you need. Preacher, are you saying that God don't speak to us? Now, I didn't say that at all. He gives you unction. He'll put people on your heart and mind. But He always points to Scripture. And if you're wondering, does this line up with what God wants me to do? Read your Bible. J.C. Ryle says, many of our afflictions come about because of our neglect of the Bible. Read your Bible. I believe today is January 3rd. You should be three days into your Bible reading plan. Christian, you read the Bible. Because the Bible is what makes you a Christian. Well, I'm a Christian, so I should read my Bible. No, when you read the Bible, it transforms you and makes you into a Christian. If you ain't reading your Bible, you ain't a Christian. Ooh, that didn't go over good, but it's true. Discipline yourself to read the Scripture every day. I didn't say read the whole book every day. If you could only get one verse and meditate on it and grind over that one verse, then that's fine. Begin your study of God's Word. This will give you longevity, perseverance, and strength in dark times. For there will probably come a day when this gathering of the faith was illegal. There might come a day when your preacher will be hot off the jail and you can't get a word that week because you don't know how to feed yourself and study God's Word on your own. Study God's Word. Grow strong. Look at His promises and the light so when you walk in the darkness, you won't doubt what He promised. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. I'm glad He speaks through His Son. Because if He spoke to me directly, there is no buffer, there's no mediator. All He would tell me is, Kevin, you deserve death, hell, and the grave. But He speaks to me through the mouth of Jesus. And He speaks to me, He says, grace and peace and mercy. Oh, that's good to me. I believe that. I'm a little excited about that because I know the dirt I've done. I don't know what you've done. Maybe all y'all are super holy, but I know what scumbag swamp God saved me out of. I know. So His grace is not just grace. It's simply amazing grace to this preacher. You don't understand. I tried to earn His favor. I tried to... Win his, his affection, but He's already given me the affection through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting. Oh, my mediator, my friend, who sticks closer than a brother. I'm trying to stir your heart up to Jesus this morning. I'm trying to make you fall in love with Jesus. It might fall on deaf ears because so many people are in love with their sins. They'd rather have their sins than Jesus. But this morning, let me paint a beautiful picture for you. That sin will unhinge its jaw and ruin you for an eternity. But Jesus is the lover of your soul. Repent of your sins and trust in Him.
He tells us whom He appointed the heir of all things. We must remember in Hebrew time and culture that the oldest son was the heir. That they were inherit all things. They were empowered. They were the one who was the shade tree that would bring the rest of the family in the, in the safety of His shade to escape the scorching sun. The heir of all things. Here, the symbolic writing is Jesus is the one that we run to as a refuge to escape the scorching wrath of God. The heir of all things. The patriarch, our champion of grace. We run to Jesus. We don't trust in our works. We don't trust in our tithing. We don't trust in our tithing records and our church attendance. We don't trust in our Bible reading. We simply run to Jesus. Notice He, he created the world. That means if He created the world, He was here at the beginning. He's here now. He'll be here at the end. I think I'll trust and bank on that. Not a stimulus check. I'll trust on that, not a mask. I'll trust on that. Not that I'm against vaccines. and I'm not against those things. I'm not against seatbelts. I'm not against owning firearms and locking your door. I'm not. But my ultimate hope is found on Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Amen, somebody. Through whom also He created the world. Now if He created the world... That means He created the pagan, the heathen, and the Christian. No matter if the pagan goes on pagan. No matter if the heathen keeps on heathening. It's all for His glory. The sinner will burn in hell and God will still receive glory. The saint will walk in heaven only by grace. And God will receive glory. It shows that God is just and holy and righteous. But He's also merciful and gracious. God alone receives the glory. Not a denomination, not a preacher, not a church, not a choir. Only one who will receive the glory is God alone. Here we see that He created the world. But it is through Him He created the world. Now we break down verse number 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. That word radiance means to blare, to blind. To look upon Him with naked eyes and you'll be blind. That He's overwhelming. That Jesus is not a sub-God. He's not a half-God. He's not a demigod. That needs to be explained in our culture. As we have pop culture and we have half-gods and we even fall back on Greek mythology where Hercules was a half-god. Where Zeus impregnated a, a mortal. And Zeus had Hercules walk on the scene. He was a demigod, a half-god. But that's not the case with Jesus. For here the author of Hebrews tells us He is the radiance of God. This doxology as we've learned, doxology means it's just a fit of praise. Just, he just can't stop talking about Jesus. He's saying He's the fullness of the glory of God. He's not a cheap knockoff. He's not something a Chinese knockoff that you order online and you get it and it lasts a week. He is God in the flesh. Here He says He is the radiance of glory of God. The exact imprint of His nature. What does that mean, preacher? Well, everybody here, if you were to be fingerprinted, they would take your fingerprint and press it on a piece of paper and they have an imprint of What's your body, frame, and 
design, the layers of the skin is like. Jesus is the fingerprint of God. He is the exact image of God. He is God. I don't want to mince words. I don't want you to be confused and walk away wondering what I'm saying. Jesus is God. No, you must understand there are those who say He's a good man. He's a good teacher. He's an activist. He's someone we can role model ourselves after. He simply is a good man. No, we add an O to the good and say He's the God man. We take away an O. We take away an O and say He's the God man. He is the exact imprint. He is the glory of God, of His radiance. In this next part of this verse will help you sleep better at night. It will wipe away your anxieties and your worries. It will give you peace beyond understanding. Let, let, me, let me just go ahead and forewarn you with a preemptive explanation. It will give you strength. Oh, it will cause your heart to flutter. Even in the dark places, you'll remind yourself and your soul that God is still God over the light and the darkness. Hear me this morning. He says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making a purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Here we see that He upholds the nature of the universe by the word of His power. Notice it's not the power of His word. It's the word of His power. You remember we talked about how Jesus was the word and is the word and was with God. It, it, that the whole universe is held together simply by the word of His power, which means he's, the whole universe is held together by Jesus. Oh, as deep, preacher. Well, wade with me deep in the water. Because when you get deep, you'll have a deeper affection for who Jesus is. He's not simply a blue-eyed, long-haired hippie who plays with sheep that the Hollywood, that the Hollywood puts on the screen before you. He's not a weakling. He's not a peasant with a rolled-up hat in the corner and the preacher's begging you to accept Jesus. That's not how it works. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of glory. He holds all things by the power of His Word. He is God. Whether you accept Him or not, it don't really matter. He's still God. And if He holds everything all together, if He holds the substance of everything that is in reality, if He is Lord over all principalities, wicked, wicked, evil, dark places, if He's God even over the devil... But the devil is still God's devil. He keeps him on a leash. He only goes as far as he lets him. If you don't believe me, read the book of Job. He allowed, he allowed the devil to attack Job. Why don't you live in such a way that your name comes up in the halls of heaven? Have you considered my servant Dana? Have you thought about going after her? The devil just can't go after her unless God allows it. Have you considered Jerry? Have you considered Messiah? Have you considered Becky? Have you thought about attacking them? And Satan, the adversary, well, I can't. 
You put a hedge of protection around them. Okay, you're allowed to do this and this, but not that. This or this, or but not that. You know why? Because God is in control. Are you hearing me this morning? God is in control. He's still God even over hell, death, and the grave. He's God. Oh, this should make somebody really happy. This should excite somebody that you have strength and power even to walk in the darkness because the Psalms tell me that my God can see in the dark. Amen, somebody. But you'll notice here after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Father of the majesty on high. He sits shoulder to shoulder with God. He's equal with God. He is God. Now, you might miss it if you don't know a little bit of Hebrew history, but in every tabernacle, every synagogue, in that synagogue, there was always an empty chair in the synagogue. The chair was symbolic in that group of believers or Jews that would come together and they would worship. They would open the Torah and explain and teach and preach, much like we have church here on Sundays. But there was always an empty chair in the synagogues where the Jewish believers would gather. There's an instance in the Gospels where Jesus opens the book of Isaiah and He preaches and teaches as a rabbi does to the believers who have gathered there in the Old Testament. This young rabbi in his 30s explained from the book of Isaiah that you have anointed me to preach the good news of the gospel, to set at liberty those who are bound, who are in prison, to proclaim the good news of the Lord. And what Jesus did next caused everybody in the synagogue to lose their breath as they gasped. Jesus rolled up the scroll and walked to this chair and had a seat. And He spoke from the chair. He said, Today in your hearing, this prophecy has been fulfilled. You might say, well, what's the big deal? Well, each rabbi and high priest who established a synagogue in each town and city, they always had a chair on stage. But nobody ever sat in that chair. Because they knew the promises of Abraham back in Genesis chapter 3. Chapter 15, there was a promise to Abraham in Genesis 15, but there was also a promise in chapter Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that God will send a promised one, one to fulfill all the blessings of God. And they would look at that chair and pray for that Messiah. They would pray for that special one, longing and waiting, generation after generation. The chair was empty. But along comes Jesus speaks to prophecy in his hometown and sits in the chair and says, my work is just beginning. Can you imagine these zealous Jews? I can't believe he's saying he's God. He can't sit there. And if you read the Gospels, you'll see that they take up stones and they want to kill him because he makes himself equal with God. But we see here in Hebrews, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Not only did He sit in this chair, but He sat at the right hand of the Father because the work is finished. If you were here during our study of Exodus, you would have remembered that in the tabernacle, as they worshipped God in the wilderness, 
there was nowhere for the high priest to sit. Because the high priest always had to work. He had to be sprinkling blood, killing lambs, working, grinding, getting it done. Because that's what religion does. Makes you work your fingers to the bone to earn credit with God. But we see here that Jesus, who is our high priest and our great mediator, He sits down. He sits down at the right hand of the Father. Do you know why this morning He sits down? Do you know why? He said why on the cross when He was dying. Listen to me closely. He said, it's finished. It's finished. There ain't nothing else to do. My blood was spilled to wash away their sins. That's why Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. It's done. Christian who puts their faith in Jesus. You're as good as you're walking the halls of heaven right now because you trust in Jesus. You hear me this morning? He saves you and He keeps you. The same grace that saves you can keep you. Oh, that's so good to me. Oh, He created the world. And not only that, He redeemed me out of the world. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And there's a conversation about me going on as He prays for me. It don't get no better than that. Buddha says, strive, do more, give more. Muhammad says, strap a bomb to yourself. Kill those around you so you'll inherit paradise. Karl Marx says, trust the state. Stalin says, trust Mother Russia or communism. Reagan says, trust capitalism. None of those things can save you. Jesus saves sinners. Oh, that's so good to me. I'm sorry. I'm getting mine. If you don't want yours, I'll get yours soon. He sat down at the right hand of the Father of majesty on high. Having become as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This blows the latter-day saints out of the water. Oh, you don't understand. Let me explain. They believe there's a Morai, that's her name, that she was an angel that appeared to Joseph Smith and preached a new gospel. That Joseph Smith would have a seer stone. He would take off his brim hat, put the stone in the hat, put his hat to his face, and have grand visions. And that's how the Book of Mormon was written. It was dictated from an angel. Islam was dictated from an angel as Muhammad met with a Catholic nun in a cave. And the angel told the nun and Muhammad what to write. And that's how we have the Quran. These angels proclaim a different gospel. Even Paul later tells the Galatians, you foolish Galatians, if anybody else preaches other than what I preach, the gospel of Jesus Christ, let them be accursed. Those angels are still walking around today. They're still ministers like Todd Bentley who claimed to see God or see angels in the back of the room and they, they spin this awful garbage that will not save anyone. But here we see that Jesus is greater than any angel. Higher than all principalities. Over all of creation. That He is God. He's much superior to the angels. He has inherited a much more excellent than theirs. A name much more excellent. Then He explains in verse number 5, to which of the angels 
Did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Here, verse 5, blast Jehovah's Witness out of the water because they don't believe that Jesus is deity. They believe He's a half God. They believe He's a little God. They believe He's almost angelic, equal with the angels. But here, He explains to which angel, which angel did He say, the earth is your footstool, all of creation is yours. You are my son today, I have begotten you. You are the same substance of me. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be my son. To which of the angels did he say that to? He only says it to Jesus. Verse number 6, and again, he brings the firstborn into the world. He says, let all the angels worship him. Now, there are those who will twist Scripture in verse number 6 and say that Jesus was created. He's a created being because He was born. It says firstborn, preacher. That's what it says. But remember what I said to take stuff in context? Remember, Hebrews, the firstborn is the heir of the family. Here the writer is pointing to the fact in the family of God, Jesus is in charge because all things have been passed on to Him. This is what He's explaining. That you can come and rest in the shade of Christ. That He'll shield you. That He'll keep you. And He'll hold you. Whew, that's so good to me. That it ain't all dictated on me. That it ain't dependent upon me. It's all hinged on Jesus. What He has done and what He will do. This should cause you to sleep soundly. This should be your theology of suffering. If you're suffering or face suffering, or let me assure you, you will suffer to know that Jesus is with you even in the flames. Jesus is even with you in the famine, in the feast, in the war and in the peace. Jesus is with you. He said, let all the angels worship Him. Anywhere in the Scriptures where you see an unnamed, pre-incarnate Christ, or an angelic being, if that angel or that being receives worship and accepts it, then you know that's a pre-incarnate Jesus because Jesus is the only one worthy to worship. If an angel appears and somebody starts to worship that angel, they'll say, no, 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 don't do that. Even in the book of Revelation, John drops and starts to worship an angel. And he says, don't do that, for I'm a fellow servant just like you. Let me ask you. What if you were up here and somebody bowed down and started to worship you? Something deep within the resignation of your soul would say, Hey, 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 don't do that! I'm not one to be worshipped. Even created beings like angels know better. For there's one who's worthy to be worshipped. But the problem is, our depraved hearts, we constantly look for things to worship. We're constantly finding things to worship. John Calvin who was one of the reformers, said that our hearts are idol factories, always looking for something else to worship. I don't know about you, but I've worshipped all kinds of things. I've worshipped my spouse. I've worshipped ministry. I've worshipped church. I've worshipped uh, ideologies and philosophies. I've put things on pedestals and worship. I live for the weekend and worship the weekend. I've worshipped food. I've worshipped sex. I've worshipped alcohol. I find all kinds of things to worship. You know why? Because we're made to worship. We'll find something to worship. Even atheists worship something. They worship their intellect. 
They believe, oh, I'm not like those weak-minded Christians. Their pride swells until it's on the altar and they worship their intellect and their pride. Verse 7 of the angels, he says, He makes His angels winds and ministers a flame of fire. Notice, the angels are higher than us as humans. Verse number 8, But the Son, He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, is, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. The author tells us that Jesus' throne is forever and ever. That should encourage somebody today. You might see that your nation might be leaning another way than what you thought. But Jesus' throne in His kingdom, notice it's identified as forever and ever. There is no end to it. And He is righteous and He is good. Even if your government is not. Even if your household is ruled by a tyrant and wicked. Even if you're in prison. Jesus is still good if life isn't. I, I'll say that again because somebody outside didn't hear me. Jesus is still good even if life isn't. He says your throne is forever and ever. An everlasting kingdom. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Notice He's upright. He knows what's right. And He will always do what is right. We don't have to wonder if there's any backroom deals with Jesus. We don't have to wonder if He's shady. If He don't release His tax forms. We don't have to wonder what He's got swept under the rug. We don't have to wonder how He would have hijacked the, the, the election to get into office. We don't have to wonder about any of those things. For He is upright. And if He's upright, then why don't you trust Him? I, I don't think you heard me this morning. If He's upright, if He's good in all His endeavors, if He is righteous, holy, then why don't you trust Him? His scepter of His kingdom is uprightness. And you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Maybe today you don't trust Him because of verse 9. He hates wickedness and He might hate you because you're wicked at the core. But if you love righteousness and holiness... And yes, you struggle for even Paul struggled. Did you not remember Romans chapter 7? Oh, wretched man that I am, what hope is there for me? The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And the things I want to do, I can't find myself to do. What hope is there for me? And he answers his own question, his own quiz. He says the answer is Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. For He is upright and righteous. He hates wickedness. So there's no, no tide of turning. There's no shadow found in Him. Now He don't have a shady side. He's not sketchy. Then I can completely trust Him. I don't know about y'all, but there's been years I can look back in my life where I didn't pray, Lord, let Thy will be done because I didn't trust Him that much. I didn't trust Him, but I, I, I was on my walk with Jesus. And I didn't fully understand Him, and I, I didn't fully trust Him. Let me bring it home with this analogy. Back in 2000, I stood across from a magistrate down at the courthouse. No, I won't go into jail. I won't in trouble. Listen up. Let me finish. 
I was standing there with my beautiful bride, my Sherry. I stood there and I was pledging my life to her, to love her, to hold her, to lay down my own agenda for our agenda. Now, I didn't know everything about Sherry. I didn't know her darkest fears and, and I didn't know what her, her dreams were in 2000. But I knew enough. Do you hear me? I knew enough to say, this is the one I want to spend the rest of my life with. This is the one I want to go to the grave holding her hand. Not pulling her into the grave. But I want to dedicate my life to her. I didn't know everything about her. But I know enough. I hope today that you just know enough about Jesus. You don't know everything about it. You can't explain the hypostatic union. You don't know theological words that will blow your mind. You can't wrap your head around His righteousness and His holiness. You can't even put into words and use vocabulary to explain His grace, His amazing grace. You can't explain the peace that He instills in people. You can't. But you've heard enough today say, I want a Jesus like that. I'm going to trust the Jesus who holds all things together. If He can keep creation from melting away, then He can hold me together. If He can, hang, if he can anchor the earth at a certain degree to keep us all from burning by the scorching sun, then He can anchor me in life. If He can scoop the oceans in the palm of His hand, like it says in Isaiah, then He can scoop me out of my troubles. If He can bear the weight of heaven on His shoulders and secure my eternity, then I can trust Him for today and maybe even tomorrow. Whoever you are, if you're wavering, if you're weak in the faith, feast on Jesus, the strong one, the author and the finisher of your faith. Notice He wrote it, He finished it, and then it's done. There's nothing left for you to do. He saves you to the uttermost and He keeps you. And He's able to keep you in spite of you. Even when you try to snatch from His grip and try to run, He pursues you. He'll leave the 99 to find the one. Believe me, ask me how I know. He sticks closer than a brother. Ask me how I know. He's a wonderful counselor. Ask me how I know. Everlasting Father. He's even a Prince of Peace. Ask me how I know. Even when I didn't feel peaceful, I can read His promises and know that He promises it to me and trust Him and believe it. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Verse number 9 tells us there's nobody else like Him. There's nobody in the same category. Billy Graham ain't standing beside Jesus. They ain't equal in any way. It's like comparing... The sun in the blazing noonday with a flashlight with dead batteries. There is no comparison. Jesus is all by Himself. There will be no one else like Him on the horizon of humanity. There will be no little clones. No one like Jesus. He's the only person to split time in two. He is God. I don't want to mince words here and I hope you can understand. Let me put it plain. Jesus is God. Some people don't like that because they ain't on good terms with Him. Some people hadn't wrapped their minds around that yet, but today's a good day to start on this journey. The third day of 2021. Walk out your days with this Jesus.
This Holy One who holds all things together, who will anchor you and keep you. You know what will get you through 2021? Not a vaccine, not a face mask. Those things are fine. That's fine. Not your medicine, not your, not your shotgun, not your, your bullets and beans and band-aids that you have hidden in your house and all that toilet paper. I know y'all bought all the toilet paper. I know. But those things will not get you through. Those things will not get you through. The only thing that will get you through is Jesus. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, today... Let Your Word echo in our hearts and our minds.